to introduce the Bible reading time with a question. And the question in the past has been, uh, how does Christ teach us we should read his word? And um, I thought I had changed it this week. And I haven't. All right, never mind then. All right, how does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. We are now in what I would call the introductory part of preaching on John. I've told you about my misgivings, and they're sincere. And my misgivings, I think, really get accentuated this week because I'm going to preach, I'm going to speak, I'm going to think about together the question of an eternal God, the eternity of God. One of the challenges about going through John is in these first 14 verses, we will find every major theme in the book of John, uh, which we could possibly look at. And so there's a danger, and I'm going to run headlong into that danger like I usually do. Uh, there's a danger that uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get through all the themes of John in these first 14 verses, and, that's, <laughs> and then everything else is gonna feel like repetition. Uh, for the next 20 chapters. Uh, and let's face it, it'll take me a long time to get through 20 chapters <laughs> at this rate. Actually, that was uh, something that D.A. Carson, a famous exegete, uh, whose commentary on, on John is outstanding. And uh, I, know, I know Don, and, and his advice was just this. But I, I suspect, though, there's more there than this. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe, maybe it will. Maybe the rest of the book will come more quickly. But what we're going to be introduced to, as it were, in, in a very forthright fashion, in a way that uh, kind of, is kind of startling, are issues of eternity, trinity, uh, salvation, adoption into the family of God, the incarnation, what it means for God to become flesh. I mean, we... Almost every major, key, important doctrine for you to know to have eternal life. John, and just in these first 14 verses. So today, though, today we will get four words into John. Four words, all four. We'll get four words into the book. How are you excited about the progress we are making? So I'm going to read it. And as I'm reading it, so you keep you engaged, so I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray for wisdom to speak about it. I want you to notice there's four movements in this first, in these first, this first rather poetic, elegant, uh, elegant prose. Sometimes this is even actually outlined as a hymn. Has anybody ever seen this arranged that way? It can be arranged that way. And that's, uh, that's facilitated by John's peculiar grammatical style. But, uh, but irrespective of that, and we'll look at that more later. But it has four parts. It's this first word part, logos part, this first few verses. Then it moves on to life and light issues, uh, images. Then it moves on to adoption, and then finally on to the word became flesh. You'll see, I, I'm giving you those anchors so that as I'm reading, you can navigate or at least be alert to the progression of the text. Let's read God's word together. Verse 1. Chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He, he, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, truth. We pray. Father, I pray for new power with the word. A new one. I, you know, I, I, I yearn to be taught to preach and to be taught by you. I, I ask you to take my words and make them your words. I the, my, my insights are not what is necessary. My, my, uh, my observations are not what uh, are compelling. But if you come and speak to us, then we will have words of life. So I pray, Father, that you will do that, and you'll do it through me and in me. You'll do it to each one of us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are many. And bless us, we pray, that we would see Jesus. Amen. One of the greatest riddles in modern physics is a definition of time. I was reading this wonderful book I was reading recently. I think you might enjoy it, uh, called uh, What We Don't Know. What We Don't Know recently came out. Uh, I caught my eye in the bookstore, and it's got kind of a, almost a cartoonish cover. And, and what, it, what it does is it proceeds to describe and explain to you the problems of modern physics. That's the problems of what dark matter is, for example, or, or expansion of the universe. And, and age, and, and things like that, or what is gravity. And it, what, what the book attempts to do is not to necessarily explain it, but to explain to you how we don't understand it. <laughs> and how uh, modern science, with all of its uh, amazing insight and wisdom, all of its, all the vast amount of information available to it, uh, be able to reach and to see in the distant depths of time and space, can't define time. Can't, can't tell you what gravity is. And the book's exploration is really, it's amusing, it's well done, it's illustrated, but it, it's, it's almost humbling. And this, this one, this time, what is time? What is, what is time? Oh, you measure it. You gotta, you gotta why? We, measure, we can measure it. We know we move through it. We can say when we started in it, I was in 1966. 66, you can do the math. And so, so we're moving through time, we know that, and we, but, but we're like, uh, it's a little bit like uh, if you were to imagine we could have a conversation with a goldfish, it wouldn't be very interesting, would it? But the goldfish could not describe water, probably. Why? Because they don't know anything about water. There's no, how do you see what you're in? How do you like, how do you get out of your head and see what you're in? Seriously, how do you do this? How do you have a perspective on yourself where you can see yourself moving through time and say, oh, I know what time is, that's time right there. And we trick ourselves with watches and clocks by thinking, well, maybe we have a grasp of it, but really all we're doing is measuring something as we experience it. 
And this is compounded now by an additional problem. If we can't understand time, how will we understand eternity? <laughs> let's, just, let's just make it harder. Let's, just, let's go a step further. We can't understand our own march through the hours, seconds, minutes, and days of our lives. We can barely comprehend it or perceive it as it's happening. We don't really understand what it is. And then we're told that the Word was in the beginning. Did you, uh, and so we're frustrated by it. I, I mean, uh, we can keep talking about this. I, uh, eternity, uh, that, that's what those first few words, those first few words we looked at last week, in the beginning was the Word. Just the language itself and the tense of the verb in those first few verses, what is it? It shouldn't, that's, that's, it's just not, it's just not good grammar, is it? It's not good. Uh, in the beginning, well, I was doing this, or in the beginning, he went there. No, in the beginning, was. And the tenses arrest you. And it's a little disquieting to translate uh, a little odd and peculiar. So John begins, and remember we were quoting Genesis 1, and he's saying, I'm writing Bible, and now he says, in the beginning, in the beginning. So where space-time originates, and you know, uh, I take that, I think science has led us into wisdom, that uh, our universe is ancient, ancient 14 billion years ago, but they, all that time, all those epochs of time, some time so big we can't get our heads around it, before all that, he was. We are faced with the eternity of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I, the closest you may come to understanding eternity is uh, listening to a preacher preach. I get that. Because <laughs> it feels like forever. <laughs> I get it. Anyway, so we, we don't. He actually looked at your clock. Watch. That's, 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 that's great. Thank you, Thank you so much. What should we do? Uh, the problems are really immense, and, and, and we could look at the problem this way, and I remember being introduced to this years ago, and I don't know if I can effectively, like pointing my head out effectively, illustrate this. So um, let's say this paper uh, represents a two-dimensional world, right? A two-dimensional world, and creatures live in this two-dimensional world. And in their two-dimensional world, everything they see and everything they experience uh, Pete in this in, in this two-dimensional world meets Adele and all he sees is another little two-dimensional duck That's all he ever sees and let's say Jesus comes while Peter and Adele are hanging out one day He comes in like this right? Now he's outside Their plane of their existence. He's out. He's not two-dimensional. He's three-dimensional What would they see if they were two-dimensional creatures? What would they see? Anybody have a guess? What would they see? All they would see, right, is a line. Maybe just a dot. Because that's all they know. They don't know that, 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 this, that there's another, that this creature, that this person, Dave said, we're saying it's Jesus right here, has pierced their world and they can't perceive or appreciate or understand or apprehend or even describe what, his, what the existence is. And that's the problem we're describing here. Does that make sense? We, we don't have the tools in our understanding of our world to talk about eternity. 
This is why God is often called ineffable. You remember that word, ineffable? He's indescribable, and he's fundamentally unknowable. Now, I would say, if I just, as a, as a minister of the gospel, I just got up here and read, read some words from the, from the Bible and told you, pay attention, I told you that in this eternity, this God who claims to be eternal, in the beginning was the word, that you cannot know him or understand him. So I guess I should just, just sit down. Maybe should I drop a mic? What should I do? These are real problems. Ah. But what if the extra-dimensional creature, the person of God, the eternal person, reveals themselves? It's funny, if the line reveals itself to the other dots in the two-dimensional world and says, by the way, I'm eternal. <laughs> I'm, I'm different than anything ever. Those, those, those two-dimensional creatures would probably go, no, I don't know if I believe you or not. <laughs> That's hard to because I don't have tools for it. But at least the possibility exists that if eternity is a person, if eternity is this person who has a past, who has no beginning, when the beginning happens, he already was, and when the end happens, he, already, he will continue to be without end, world without end, amen. This is how we praise him even, remember? How do we praise him? World without end, forever and ever, amen. We need tools, and what tools do we need? We need revelation. We need God to speak. We looked at last time, John is saying that, because he's quoting the Old Testament and saying, I'm writing Bible, and commitment to the Word of God is where I start. God, this eternal God, Jesus, has revealed himself. He has spoken. And this makes the possibility of knowing something about this eternal being, at least I can know he's there, right? I can know something about who, that, who he is. It's a little bit better, though. Because not only has revelation happened, that's the first principle that's happening and being described in the text. It's not just revelation. The word word implies what? Communication, revelation, right? And God is a revealing God. He is a God who's speaking God. He, he is a God, but why do we speak and why do we reveal? It's not merely to download data for Cedric. It is to have a, rela a relationship with Cedric. That's the second dynamic in it. That is so living. This eternal creed, this eternal being, seeks to have a relationship, offers intimacy, offers union and love in a personal fact, in a personal way. That makes this entire message, or this entire point of John, all of a sudden kind of uh, bewilderingly, it, it doesn't really reduce how bewildering all this is. <laughs> Why would eternal God care? Why would he care about me? Why would he care? Why would he need? Why would he want? Why would he desire a relationship with me? I don't know. There are questions I can't answer about what, an eternal, what the eternal son does. And I haven't been given that privilege, but I can tell you the things he said, right? I can tell you the things he did when, in, in, in the process of coming here. I can tell you about the intent of how he describes his heart and call you, call you, urge with you, plead with you, beg you to give your life to an eternal God. And know what? Eternal life. Because that becomes one of John's precious, precious truths. 
kind of interesting proposition, isn't it? You can't know God, but oh no. You can't, in one sense, comprehend. Oh, but he can know the one who reveals himself and offers you relationship and intimacy. So, in, in one sense, so I'm, I'm kind of a, there's almost like, a, it's interesting in a lot of theological, in a lot of theological discussion, for example, and this is something you can do some investigation with yourself. It's, I think, quite, find, find it quite fruitful. Uh, there's always that about which God which we cannot know. And we talk about what we can't know, <laughs> which is funny, a funny thing to think about. We're going to talk about what we can't really understand. And then we can talk about all that we can understand because he does at least become this in, in our world. Right? He becomes like us uh, in, our, in our dimensions. And we ought to be, I don't know, just, I'm hoping, arrested, excited, um, intrigued perhaps. A little bit, maybe even a little amazed, perhaps a little fearful that this is the stuff of knowing God in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, John made it, and one of the, the first messages of introduction to John was from John 20, verse 31, which said, These things were written that you may know the Son of God, you may know Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing in his name, you may have life. So there's a purpose to him revealing this eternity here in the first line. A purpose. And that's what I want to explore today. The purposes of why eternity and why the etern- Jesus as the eternal son is such a precious and valuable thing for us to accept and grow in understanding. And, I'm, I wanna, I, and that's what I'm hoping to do uh, with the remaining time we have left. So what? This is Jesus is eternal. An eternal son has come to make himself known. Given us his name. What shall we do with the tenses? Well, I think, first of all, the first thing we can do is, how shall I put this? Um, there's a lot of tyranny in modernity, in our, in our culture, that only that which is new is good. The newer, you know, you always want the latest version of everything, right? I mean, who doesn't want the new iPhone? You know? We all want the latest one. And uh, what about the latest iWatch? Or what about the latest, or you definitely want to update your software. You always want to be current. You always want to be immediate. And so when I get up here to talk about this person named Jesus Christ and say that the eternal sons became flesh, and then talk about events leading up to a wood and timber on a, on a, on a, on a trash heap outside the city as he dies a brutal, utter, ignominious death and mockery and shame as he I mean, the smell of the garbage and the, and, the, and the feces and his own death pitilessly, pitifully upon a cross. What? Isn't that buried like 2,000 years ago? And we have the tyranny of the news. So these old stories about a suffering eternal God, it's, you know, you know that's, it's a nice story, but it doesn't have, it doesn't pop. We, we might not, we, we can see it as an objective event and trust in it. But when we, when we investigate eternity, We've discovered that if an eternal God does that, it's still current. Because what an eternal God does stays immediate, right? It doesn't fade away. It doesn't like it doesn't recede across thousands of years. No, in fact, that blood and that sacrifice and the resurrection from the dead now becomes, because of the eternity of the Son, immediately available to John <laughs> and to his mom and to me and to the city. And there is an immediacy that eternity brings because it draws in. And have you ever wondered, for example, 
if we took the cross as, a, as an event in space-time, and some people often wonder, well, what did people do if Christ died for sinners? What did people do before the cross? Common question, theologically, and that people will use. I'm, I'm claiming, well, look, because this is an eternal act of an eternal God, greater than space and time, he is greater than space and time, he is not constrained by space and time, he enters it to save, and the event of the death and resurrection of the eternal Son of God has a, an eternal effect. You see, this, uh, the, the writers of the New Testament try to, try, to per, try to talk about this. We're going to look at John here in a little bit, the, 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 the John the Baptist. Everybody's trying to wrestle with getting your head around this eternal God. And John looks at him and goes, hey, you know what? I'm older than him, but he's greater than me <laughs> because he was before me. Even though I'm older than him, he was before me. Therefore, he's greater than me. He's just trying to get it around existentially and personally. You know what the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus says, the lamb slain when? Anybody remember when the lamb was slain in the, the writer of Hebrews? Before the foundations of the world. So in other words, eternity always applies. It's always available. That means there is an amazing immediacy to the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. An immediate purchase availability by faith today. It is not dull. It shine is not worn on. It's irrelevancy and immediacy and availability. The fact that you and I today can, can call on the name of Jesus and know the love of a Savior. The events are current and they're applicable now. I want you to, you know what I just said that? I, I think this is a call to evangelism. Peter, you're talking about this. Do you think evangelism is you cleverly defending your faith? Um, I have been able to cleverly defend the faith, and it has almost never saved anybody. It always makes me feel good. Who doesn't like to feel smarter than everybody else in the room? You know? hey, I'm smarter than you. I can beat your arguments. You know, it's amazing how little glory that gives to God. Pay attention here. If, if it is still current, if, if, if it's uh, current, I, I'm thinking about something right now. I, if, uh, have you ever worked with electricity? Like a socket? And I'm always trying to second, you know, when I'm doing work in a house, I'm always trying to see if the, if the circuit's still hot, if I shut off. That's how Christ, this, it, the, the cross is like this. It's a live circuit. It's still, it's still burning with energy to transform all the time. It's like that immediate all the time. And you don't need to be clever to lead somebody to Jesus. You just need to tap them to touch Jesus. Because <laughs> he has the power to save. You don't, right? You're not eternal. But an eternal God is making himself available immediately. I get excited about that. Because it means that evangelism doesn't have to be so threatening. It can just be you talking about what God has done in and through you. So that kind of liberation that eternity can bring is very surprising. And I think we'll see as we continue to open this up that it does a bunch of surprising things. Um, sorry, I have glasses. Second, second thing. Um, following uh, the, the, the present event, um, it's a call to faith and a call to worship as well. The fact that eternity is immediate in such an amazing fashion, the cross never loses a saving power as it's being preached, thought, understood, and communicated even amongst friends. An opening for faith and worship 
constantly comes. That's why we will end worship today. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Well, how long? Now and forevermore. And so the fuel of our worship, um, I think about this. I, I hope that in some way as a preacher of the gospel with all of my shortcomings, the fact that I cannot be anything but finite could somehow renew in you a desire and renew a picture that eternal love has become so available. And, and what is that? What are we going to do for worship? It just opens it up. It's just possible that this is not merely an echo chamber, right? <laughs> I don't want worship in an echo chamber. It also relieves us, too, of the pressures of, well, is worship entertaining enough? Is it entertaining enough to attract people? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, we need better looking people leading worship, I think. <laughs> Sorry, we need to upgrade. <laughs> you know, a lot of churches do that. You know why? I don't think they believe in eternity like this. We, we walking, we walk when we worship and when we pray and when we speak these words. We're like little children playing uh, But it really takes off the pressure when it comes to manipulative evangelism and manipulative worship, doesn't it? Did you think that the prayer time was a little too long? Anybody? No, I worry about it. You know why? I worry. No, I do. Because I worry about guests going, you know, I don't care about any of these people. I don't know what they're talking about. Because I imagine myself thinking that way. But if we have come to eternity, And then why have we stopped praying? Two, assurance. How many of you wonder if God still loves you? You know, caught up in the cause-effect sequence of space-time, which is where we are. And we are caught. And we tend to take cause-and-effect relationships with everything. And the biggest cause-effect relationship that you and I constantly operate in space-time is what? I did a bad thing. I should be punished. I did not love God. I should be punished. I, I was not a good boy. I don't deserve to be loved. I, and all that is, all that is in that kind of thinking, I'm not sure if God can still love me after all these years. All that is, even when you say all these years, is what? Finite creatures. We don't understand what eternity must mean. <laughs> because eternity means assurance. You can't outlast him in his love. Great. Let me give testimony, guys. As a preacher of the gospel, I think I try God's patience more than anybody else in this room. I know more. I'm more accountable. I have to run even more to what? Assurance that eternal love can never be denied. Eternal love can never run out. Eternal love can never be exhausted. Eternal love can never change its mind. Eternal, it doesn't make any sense. Eternal love is what it what? It's eternal. <laughs> it doesn't have a beginning. And, and I want you to explore a new assurance. Michael, God loved you before time. <sighs> and he will love you when the stars run out. So tomorrow, be assured. <laughs> like in the middle, have some assurance. 
We've come to the promises of eternity. And assurance is our possession. Third, Christ promises, and you can, through relationship with him, have eternal life. Now, as a kid, when my parents became Christians, you know, we saved out of the whole hippie scene and everything, and we know, a lot of you know the story. I remember the first time I heard about eternal life, and I was sitting in a really boring church service, and I was sitting there going, what? I remember the preacher talking about, we get to worship God for eternity. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that sounds awful. Anybody, anybody else ever think that? <laughs> You're like, huh? You've got to be kidding me. But eternity in the book of John is not merely about duration. It's about quality. A kind of life. Now, I'm not going to have a whole lot of luck explaining this because I couldn't even explain eternity to begin with, so I don't know how I'm going to explain eternal life for us. You know what I mean? Like, I'm already swimming in debt, out of my depth. But, 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 aren't you intrigued? Aren't you intrigued not merely that you will have unlimited extension? Because let's face it, we all know what boredom is, and unlimited extension doesn't sound like a promise. But what if eternal life is a new quality of life as well? Not only extension, but a new kind of living. And I think that's exactly what it is, where we partake of the eternal, and I can't explain why, I can't explain how. <laughs> but I know it is true. For you have been, my dear brother, you have been reborn eternal. <laughs> and I personally really don't know what that means. But I know it means something. And this is where the role of joy, peace, and contentment, worship, and power all start to come into play. And as you live and as you grow in the Christian life, you, in a sense, grow into your eternity. Does that make sense? You grow into that equality, in that experience. You grow into it as you grow in worship. In a sense, a lot of Christian maturity is not you becoming something you're not. It's you becoming more you in him. And it, it reinvents for me and it rediscovers these sterile models for Christian maturity. Don't you? I, I hate, I hate mature Christian people. They're so unfriendly. <laughs> you ever meet a mature Christian person and be like, yeah, sure, they're mature, but I just don't like them. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Peter. <laughs> they, but pokers like to be with Jesus. And he was eternal. That's part of being eternal. Sinful people like being around you. Because you're transformed, you're different. Kind person. You know, like, so, you know why I think eternal life can be such a short, it's going to be such a, a, a wrong thing for us to talk about? Is that, um, and we think, of, we think of it just as an extension, is that we can always think of it about it as something that's going to begin at some point. Does that make sense? Like it's going to begin, my eternal life will begin when I die or something like that. But that's not the way Christ talks about it. He talks about eternal life now. That's where it first clued me in. This is not about quantity, merely, but also quality. And finally, finally then, in the beginning was the Word. I mentioned John. We, we meet John the Baptist in the next few verses. John, talk. John, he just keeps saying that. It's kind of awkward. It's like, he's greater than me, even though I'm older than him. Anyway, John's trying to figure out, John's a very famous preacher at that time, and he's telling people, I am nobody compared to that guy. Because he's greater than me. And he, John knows it's eternity. What's John getting there? And what's the writer John trying to do to this persuasive way? That you'll walk out of here today with some of these ideas in your hands and a new perspective. 
Because that's what eternity really gives us. Is it finally wakens us up. I am captured and caught in the immediacy of my crises, aren't you? <laughs> or the immediacy of the deterioration of my body. Or the, or, the, or the problems that are happening with money. Or the realities of my city. And, I, and we're caught, and we're caught. And because we live in space-time, because we're, we don't have the perspective, we can't see up, and we can't see down, or see what eternities around us and how immediately God has come. And so what we're called to, and this is why we're called to come to worship every week, you know, why do you, you need an eternity refresher? You need a, a new perspective on eternity regularly. You regularly need to be taken from some of the prison of the space-time world that you live in with your beginning date and your end date, and you need him now. You need a perspective now. Why? Why? Because we're so lost in our perspective now. How many of you have ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death? Some of you. How many of you have walked through the valley of the shadow of the humdrum? <laughs> Don't you just get tired of life? Don't you weary with the kids, with the work, with the, the boss, with the, your husband? We get tired of everything. You tired of your kids? They do. And you're ashamed, aren't you? So, I remember being so ashamed that you're tired of my kids. You're not tired of Katie yet, but you will be. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Probably other people will probably get tired of it before you do, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but my point, you, you catch my point, is that I need perspective in the middle of life. Because the middle of life is scary. I need perspective on my own needs. I need perspective on, on realizing that my failures don't say everything about me. But have you ever heard, this, ever heard the expression? I'm gonna end with this. This is where I think the cross really just comes in and, gives us so much joy. Uh, what is the uh, past performance is the best what? Past performance is the best predictor of what? Future results. Past performance is the best predictor of future results. And if you've not heard that yet, you're going to hear it sometime, and you're not going to like it when it's said. <laughs> when people are fixing to say that to you, that means you're going, to, you're going on a personal improvement plan. And if you ever hear the idea of a PIP, what do you do, Will? You start working harder, right? <laughs> if you get a PIP, a personal improvement plan, you know you're in trouble. Hey, why? Because the whole world works on this, and our consciences work on this. Don't they? Our conscience works. My past performance is the best predictor of my future results. You know what the cross says? You know what eternity says? Nah. -uh. In the beginning was the word. And in that was, in that beginning, the Claire was loved. I was loved. We were rescued. We were set upon. The cross was decided upon. An eternal God would come in love. And I'm going to tell you that that is a lie. And Christians ought never to believe it. The only person whose past performance will affect every future event for eternity is Jesus. And he came here to save, die, love, and die, and raise from the, rise from the dead. Praise him. Let's, 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 let's pray. Father, Father, I, you know, you, well, you know the challenges that face me to try to to tell my people about these things. But we can, we can 
if you will, if you will show us more, we will understand more. That's that's in your eternity. You can you can open up our imagination and our faith and our life and our mind and our intellect, so that it grasps more deeply who you are. And we we pray. I pray for that work. I pray for that work to begin today. I pray for those who don't have life in your Son and don't have life yet, have not yet tasted life eternal by trusting in your Son, Jesus. And um, pray for them right now. I pray for those who are stuck in the middle with a sense of futility about life and the humdrum or, or guilt or need for assurance. And Father, we, I ask you to speak your eternal love. Just speak that you have loved and you cannot be outlasted. You have loved and you are faithful. You have loved and you will cause and, you, and what you begin in us, you'll complete. Like we, we have so much to look for. Now we look to you as the eternal God. And we look to you that we might praise you well and love you well and, and begin to fill our days by gazing upon you and praising you and then in some way become familiar and with your eternity as something for us personally. I want to, I want to thank you for the way you revealed your son your father to me and I pray for more of that reveal yourself to San Francisco reveal eternity eternal love of your son to San Francisco and to the people that we love we offer these things in the precious name of Jesus Amen now it is one thing to speak about eternity like I have today but um if you look down in that text there in John 1, it ends, it, 14 says, and the word became flesh. Because on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. If so, you don't miss the point. Eternity became what? This, like this tangible, this frangible, this tasteable and tactile. And only, only when you, that, that, that's the second part of the story, right? Um, so, and we'll be looking at that, but this, so eternal love has become this practical and applicable and immediate and available. So 2,000 years ago, the cross event and the resurrection of our Savior can be touched by faith in the elements. Amazing, huh? Right, eternal God can pull that off when he does eternal things. So, with eternal value and worth. So uh, he took bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body. He also took a cup of wine and poured it and said, this is my blood. Take and eat, take and drink. Do this and remember me. I invite those who know Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've been struggling with hardship or maybe you've been struggling with some uh, bitterness or, or some past performance that you are afraid what it predicts. <laughs> Anybody know that? Are you afraid of what some of your past performances might predict about you? I say run to the cross by faith in the Son of God. Trust his eternal love, because here it is. It's this available. So I want to encourage those who know him. Uh, if you're struggling with assurance and struggling with fear and doubt, I, I want you to come too. Ah, oh, wait a second. But I will say this. If you think you're a good man or a good woman, and you come to church, maybe you came to church today because you're a good person, and you think, I'm a good person. This is what good people do, right? They go to church. Um, if that's who you are, then let me, let me be very clear about eternity. Um, you, uh, you are lost in eternity. You are lost for eternity. Any man who, or woman who thinks they're a good person does not know the eternal love of God. 
Only sinners know the eternal love of God. Amen? Finally, I've been talking a lot about space-time and eternity and, and things I probably should keep my mouth shut about. I'm not claiming to understand them. But let's say you're a skeptic and you'd like to talk more about this or you're a skeptic watching and thinking these people are crazy or at least that guy is crazy. That's fine. You won't be the first one. But I ask you to watch us observe our ritual. Watch us as we observe this rite. Watch our communion. Because we are claiming to know an eternal God this, this closely. And maybe someday you will too. Or at least maybe you'll want that. All right. So that is what's called a fence for the communion. Come those who are sinners. Stay away if you think you're good. And uh, skeptics watch. We're going to actually say the Nicene Creed. That is actually a statement written in the third century to which I ask you to assent in order to participate in communion, but it's simply the basics, basic convictions and tenets and claims of the Christian, the historic Christian faith. Uh, uh, we're going to say that after we're done saying it, we're going to be led in, in, in prayerful and joyful song by Peter and Adele. And then as they're singing, we're all singing together, we come forward to get the elements. After the elements have been distributed, we'll all eat them together after the song and be done. We'll say that can have a blessing and talk solid. All right, please stand. Please stand. Uh, I need my glasses for this one. I still have not memorized this. Has anybody memorized it yet? Has anybody close? Uh, I want to memorize it so I can impress other other Presbyterian ministers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you know me, you know how funny that is. All right, let's. Uh, Okay, let's see here. All right, uh, Christian Church, First Presbyterian Church, what do you believe? We, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father for all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made man, was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.